you would, if we turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelations chapter 4, I said Revelations. We don't work at Fords. It's not Walmarts. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. And I'm guilty of it. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4. I've heard people say, I wonder what God looks like. And I was just talking this morning. Uh, uh, Ms. Shura was saying how he... He, he wasn't handsome like the pictures say he was. He was not a handsome man. He was comely looking. Uh, speaking of the, for, the for forbidden chapters, the Jews would call Isaiah 53. He was comely. He was, he was not fair to look upon. But if you look in Scripture, you know, some of these things, you don't have to wonder a whole lot. There are places in Scripture that give a description of our Lord. Yes, yes. When, when he was uh, incarnate in the flesh, but, but also our Lord in heavenly places. There's descriptions of our Lord. We can see these things. Here's one of them. Isaiah was given a glimpse of the Lord sitting upon his throne. Literally a sight of all sights. Let's read about it. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. I mean, already you have this visual that's, that's unlike any other visual. Uh, you know, can, can you imagine uh, reading this for the very first time and hearing it for the first time? Amen. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So who is crying, holy, holy, holy here? Each of the seraphims. And not only are the seraphims the one doing the, the, the proclaiming, crying, holy, 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 but while they're doing that, the, the, the doorposts of the temple doors are literally vibrating from, from the sound. That, that is... We get to see that one day. Right now, we're just visualizing it. Amen. From the book of Revelation, if you turn to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that these creatures are declaring this nonstop, day and night. Look at this, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. What a sight to behold. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful to uh, have seen that like Isaiah, to bask in the glory of God's presence? We could just meditate on that, sing a few songs and go home and say it'd be good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. But let's take the next 20 minutes and look in the scripture just a little bit deeper. And what does that do? It helps us to worship a little bit more. Singing worship is great. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart isn't just in music, but it's through the word, especially through the word. Brother Eric, I'd be honored if you'd open in a word of prayer, brother. I imagine that it would be pretty hard to have a bad attitude in the presence of an almighty God. I don't think that, that Isaiah 
at that moment was thinking, I can't believe what Miss Kathy said to me. I can't believe what Miss Jen Vipon said to me a year ago. I'm so mad at her. Right? I don't think he had a better thought in his mind at that moment. How ridiculous it would be to be in, in the presence of an almighty God and think, man, my brothers in Christ are the worst. Or, oh, my job is awful. But, you know, as Christians, we do this all the time. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. God's in our presence this morning. We don't have to hope for that. He is here. He is spiritually here. Amen. But the problem is, is our faith is so little. We don't think of them as being here. and We think we're all here all alone. So it's real easy for us to get bitter to a brother and sister in Christ for, for whatever reason. Let's look back at our text. Look at verse 5. It goes on and say, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And I cannot think of a better rally cry to shout, to be missions-minded, then here am I, send me. There will no doubt be someone listening to this message in the, today or in the future and say to themselves, you know, if God, if God allowed me to see him on the throne, well, then, man, I would, give, I would worship him nonstop. Then, then my bitterness would go away. <clears throat> then, then all of a sudden, I, I would really live for the Lord if he allowed me a glimpse of heaven, let alone a glimpse of the throne room. But Christian, that's not how this works. God doesn't move in the heart of an unbeliever, first of all. God's given him free will. I thank God for that. But God will not force himself upon anyone. Never, never, never. Otherwise, it's not free will. You say, well, if, well, if God uh, is, is loved, then how come there's so much pain and suffering? Because people are awful. And sin is real. Amen. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. God did not send his son to die for some of the world. Regardless of what some Christians believe, God sent his son to die for everyone. All the world. Scripture is very clear on that. What I like too is 2 Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us for it. I love this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Boy, some people have a hard time with that. But all means all. Always will mean all. I thank God for that. Amen. Not to mention God's given us a promise for the believer who's accepted Christ as their personal Savior. I thank God for that. I thank God for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. With every saved believer, he's, he's within us. That is awesome. And when, when we dwell on these things, now all of a sudden, here we are. If you're born again this morning, if you, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, now you have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. And when there's two or three, or at least two or three of us, right? I can count, right? 
He's in our presence. So all of a sudden, what should our mindset be? I mean, I'm flesh too. And we could have easily been all complaining about ice everywhere and how awful it is that I got to scrape the ice off the windshield and yada, yada. And it's harder to get up when it's gloomy outside. And it's right, right down the line. But if we get a perspective of what reality is for the believer, he's indwelling within us. We get to be in his presence. Amen. We get fellowship with believers. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's important. Jesus said, uh, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Well, that's important. Uh, my dad, I mean... I did uh, a couple things. He would always say, it's not what you know, but what you know, right? And a message prepared in the heart reaches a heart, but a message only prepared in the mind will only reach a mind. And that's great wisdom. My dad is a wise man. But he would also say, draw nigh to God, and he would draw nigh to you. And man, if there's anything to, right? I, I mean, you want to see more of God, draw nigh to him. You want a good relationship with your wife? Draw, draw close to your wife, man. What does she like? Uh, what are her interests? Um, and, and, and before you even think of an answer, the answer before any of those answers are, she would like you to wash the dishes sometimes. Right. Clean your side of the bed up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Things that pop in your head while you're preaching. Amen. But we don't think of those things. We think, yeah, God, I just want God to bless me. I've been saved. I just want his blessings. I'll do nothing for him. I won't study his word. I'll tell nobody about the gospel. I'll invite nobody to church. I won't even pick up my Bible and read it, let alone show up to a church service. I just want all God's blessings because I'm saved, so I'm good to go. Do you treat your marriage that way? That'd be awful. There would be zero relationship. In fact, it would be strained. You would become strangers. Really. If Rachel ever leaves me, I'm going with her. Amen. How's it go? We always were taught when we were young, our relationship with the Lord is like a triangle, right? God's at the top and our spouse is on the other side. The closer we get to the Lord, the closer we get to our spouse. And we should both be growing to, our, our, our objective, our main goal, priority should be as spouses growing in, in the Lord. And closer you get to the Lord, closer you get to your spouse, right? But what might happen? The husband might be drawn closer to the Lord and the wife might be way over here. You might be, or the husband might be absolutely backslidden and the wife just constantly drawn. Now you're still separated, right? But what does God want? Both of you, Amen. It's not a contest who's higher on the spectrum, Rachel, right? We can just all assume who's higher. It's Rachel. We all know. Amen. Amen. But I can promise you that when God decided to show Isaiah his throne room, he didn't just say, I'm going to pick some random person to be a blessing to. Um, how about this Isaiah fella? No. No, no. I guarantee you. And I'm sure we could go all through Scripture and back up this principle. 
that, that God moved in his life and Isaiah was already right with the Lord and serving God and you know, fully giving his all to him. And then after a while, whatever, God said, you know what, I, I, wanna, I need to show Isaiah this. He's going to be the one I'm going to use to proclaim what he's seeing. So generations after generations for thousands of years are going to see this. Amen. It didn't just happen. Amen. Begs the question that where are the Christians that are willing to step out by faith for the cause of Christ these days? Somebody asked me just the other day what, what they could do to help more around the church. That's awesome. <laughs> How encouraging that is uh, to hear that. And, and, and we've heard that more and more in the last few years. I, I, I've seen it more in the last few years than I've seen it in a long time. And that is wonderful. I, I love a church. Uh, man, uh, you, quality over quantity all day long. Quantity is good, but quality is way more important. Amen. And we have quality here. We've got a lot of good people. Amen. But we, we live in a time when Christians are neglecting, saying, here am I, Lord, send me attitude. We live in a time where Christians are saying, here am I, Lord, I'm going to study your word. We're ne neglecting in this time where we have Christians that are not so willing to say, here am I, Lord, I'm going to go over the church prayer list. Here am I, Lord, I'm going to pray for our country. Here am I, Lord, I want to serve you just so I could be a better husband or a better wife. Here am I, Lord, use me wherever I can be used. Here am I, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. It's a mentality, it's a thought process that just doesn't jive in today's culture. Why, why, why? Because we're selfish. We're selfish people, it's just what we are. We live in a time when often right is wrong and wrong is right. Um, there's a gentleman oh, a year ago or so. Um, um, yeah, I don't want to give it too much, but I, I was I was talking with him, and uh, um, he he told me that they they put a a rainbow flag on the top of their church. And um, he wasn't happy about it, but he'd gone to the church for so many years and he was, he had a position in the church. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's a bummer, but it's how we live. So it's what it is, right? And we talked about it for a little bit. And uh, a year later, I talked to him this week. Um, he made the reference because I asked him uh, about church and I inquired about his salvation a little bit. And um, he just wanted to complain about his church. And he literally said this phrase. He said, our church is a gay church now. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, he says that they have been coming in last year. He goes, it, it just seems like it's infiltrated. And they're just um, like a third of the church seems to be homosexual claiming that nowadays. I said, well, that's, it's just not biblical. I said, we can love them. And we'll give them the gospel. And we'll be so kind to them. But that's a sin just like drunkenness. It's a sin just like any other sin out there. It's a sin. And it's not to be praised. It's not to be putting a flag. Can you imagine putting a flag on the church that says, alcohol, drink it, get drunk. 
That's wrong. Drunkenness is wrong. It's a sin. That's what they did. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, you put a flag up and you invited everybody in. So now that's what you get. I mean, what, what do you want? He goes, I know, I know. And then, then I asked the question, well, why do you still go there? So now you're, you're not a Bible-believing church. You're just a church that's swinging and swaying with the culture. I said, it could be anything next year, right. let alone the Lord's Day is coming in five or ten years. Yeah. So what's their standard as uh, serving the Lord? It's always going to be the Word of God. Right. If you're going to be a Christian that's ever going to grow, it's going to be the Word of God. Not what the pastor says, right. not what the culture says, and whatever church that is, it's wrong. We don't go by culture, we go by this. All the time, every time. We need revival in our churches. Turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14. We just just need revival. You know, this message has been on my mind this week, and I've been thinking about that Rochester song. I wish we knew it so we could sing it. Uh, We need revival all across the land. We need revival. It's time to take a stand. We better get on our knees and pray. Turn from our wicked ways. We need revival all across the land. Churches need revival. I thank God for the comforts that we have. I love the comforts of our home. And man, I, had, I got a nice couch. It's the first time in our marriage we have like a, a nice couch. <laughs> we got a nice TV. We got the Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff. I got a Keurig. No, a Ninja. We have a Ninja at home. We can make iced coffee and it's really pretty good. But the problem is we're so comfortable at home, we want to put God off to the side because, you know what, I could just go home and be comfortable and forget serving the Lord. You know, the fact is, if we had it hard, we'd probably be a happier people because now we'd be thankful for what we have. Amen. We need revival in our churches. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and God will heal, heal their land. God is clearly speaking to Israel back in the Old Testament at this time. But we would be foolish to say that principle does not absolutely apply to us today. Absolutely applies. A recent Gallup poll shows that 20% of U.S. adults believe the Bible is the actual word of God. 20% of U.S. adults believe the Bible is the actual word of God. That's a scary thought. I mean, I didn't look back at old statistics, but I, I would imagine that number would have been way higher a generation or two ago. 49% believe that it's the inspired word of God. 29% believe the Bible is an ancient book of fables. attend, this is America, 31% attend services weekly or nearly weekly. 76% did as a child. Now, I had to soak that in. You realize that most people that went to church don't go to church. That's what that's saying. 38, uh, um, oh, 38% who attended regularly as a child attend regularly now six this this was a good one 6.5 percent of missionaries worldwide are leaving their field each year it doesn't mean they're wrong they might be old or somebody passed away you know but leslie you know who knows what's going to happen he plans on staying there and amen and, and god bless him but if he came home that'd be fine too he's been there like i think all his life his dad was missionary there but we have 6.5 percent on average coming home back to the u.s. From the missionary, from the mission field. 
Who's replacing them? I don't think missionaries are lined up to go abroad. Amen. That's why we have been a very mission-minded church, especially in the last couple of years. Amen. And I thank God for that. I was at a church where at one point last weekend, they said at one point they had 160 missionaries they supported. Now, how much they give them a month is a whole other story. Uh, uh, we could talk about that. But, but they're very aware of missions, right? We only have 10. 10. But I'm really proud of our 10. And we've, we've uh, upped the giving uh, by, what, 50% on all of them in the last year? I'm proud of that. Uh, we don't have hundreds of missionaries that we support. It's not all about quantity, but it's about quality. I'm thankful who we support, and I'm proud of what we support. We got a business meeting, by the way, tonight. Uh, if you guys show up tonight, by the way, it's a business meeting. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, that's a lot of money going out. You know, over $100,000 goes out of this church every year. Everything, utilities, everything. Like, that's a lot of money for our little church, Amen. God's using us. God's using us. In 2019, there were 3,000 new churches that started across the U.S. That, that statistic alone seems so encouraging. But here's the problem. 4,500 on average are closing every year. So we are in a deficit of 1,500 churches. 1,500 churches closing every year. You know what's happening. The smaller church, it's just like farming. I was a farmer for a couple of years. Well, I worked on a farm for a couple of years. All the small uh, farms close down and all the big, massive, generic farms open up. What do we see today? Small churches closing down because everybody wants to go to the big churches where they're, they got all the big programs and stuff. I'm not, not against big churches and big programs. Those are wonderful. But all, oftentimes you might lose some quality to get your quantity. I was at a restaurant this week eating pizza with my coworkers. Uh, and that's a blessing, amen. Um, but um, my boss asked me, he said something to the effect of, how many young people do we have at church? I thought it was great that he brought up a church conversation. Wonderful. Keep in mind that uh, one, two, three, four, five, four out of the five um, people other than myself used to go to church but do not go there anymore. One claims atheism, Amen. So with that in mind, I got the answer. I said, well, you know, statistically, when children get out of the house and their parents don't make them go to church, statistically, kids don't go to church anymore. It's just a state in which we live because there's so much more that uh, the world has to offer in the way of TV, in the way of Nintendo, in the way of social media, in the way of going anywhere besides the house of God. He said that he grew up in church every week and he loved all the activities. He, he would go to church camp every year. And he said that he has a daughter now in high school. And he says that uh, he, he, he's sorry for her because she's missing out on all the fundamental things that he learned as a child. And, and he, he wished he could enjoy the potlucks. Just, just the fellowship things he's talking about. The potlucks and, and the special meetings in the church camp and all these activities that they would go on. He said she's missing out on all that. You say, well, why? Well, because we're taking the easy route as a parent, and we're like, well, you know, we can go camping or we can go to church this weekend. Uh, I have another coworker that um, I work with him every day. He's a good friend of mine. I believe he's saved, but but he loves baseball, 
He chose to take his kids to baseball. Every baseball season, you didn't see him at all because they're on a traveling team. And he taught his kids. What are you teaching your kids? That's more important. Baseball is more important than the house of God. Now what happens? None of them are in church. He's not even in church. Amen. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We'll wind this message down. Amen. Now the Spirit... Speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, we can stand there a while, but we won't. But seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? We live in a culture today, you can't talk bad about any other doctrine. But what's the fact? There's only one truth. There's only one doctrine that is godly. What's all the other doctrines then? It begs the question. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron. Jump to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. We're almost done this morning, maybe another three or four minutes. 2 Timothy verse 4, chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Church revival in our country does not solely rest upon Bible-believing churches. It rests within the heart of every single believer. If we as believers would have our hearts right, and man, we're, we're not just right, but man, having revival in our hearts, wanting to serve the Lord, all of a sudden our churches are going to see revival. We schedule revival meetings and... and, and there, there's something that happens in revival meetings oftentimes is, yeah, we schedule revival, we're going to go to a revival, then we're going to go home, we go to a revival expecting God to move among those people. The problem is, everyone that comes says, I'm coming to a revival expecting God to move among those people. You got people from Taylor going over to Westland saying, yeah, I'm going to come to the church services. I'm expecting God to move among those people. It's going to be great. Instead of having the attitude, I hope God will put revival in my heart. And all of a sudden, you got a bunch of people coming together for revival. Not, not that the church is just going to have revival, but we'll have revival in our hearts. And all of a sudden, God can move with that. Isaiah's response, turn back to Isaiah chapter 12 and we'll close here. Isaiah's response was, here am I, Lord, send me. While the vast majority of God's people will say anything but that. I remember a comic I, I read a long time ago. It said, um, what, was that, what was that girl comic? She had the frizzy hair. Okay, I believe you. And, and, and she said, she was sitting with a bunch of food in front of her and she said, I'd do anything to lose weight. The next scene said, and she's eating, it says, except for diet and exercise. <laughs> and that's the truth. We'll do anything, Lord, to serve you. We'll give you our lives to you. We'll put our lives. We want to be a living sacrifice for you, except, except we don't want to do any work, though. Like, I, we want to do it with our mouth. We, we want to, like, you know, give you, like, an hour a week maybe, and, and pray over our food, but like, but that's it. Like we, I, we want all the blessings of serving you. We want revival in our heart, but we don't really want to do much. We don't have a "Here am I, Lord, send me" attitude. We'll say, "Here, Lord, take some money. 
Here, Lord, send my pastor. Here, Lord, uh, uh, send somebody else. Here, Lord, here, here's a little time slot a week. We need revival in our churches. We need revival in our hearts. But here's the great thing, and we'll close the service with this. When you have revival, it, it coincides with rejoicing. I mean, it, it's not like separate. It, it's one and the same. There's no, but somebody that's right with the Lord and they're serving God, they're happy. And like nothing offends them. Like, yeah, things, things happen. And man, it's a bummer sometimes. It really is. But at the end of the day, what's the, it's like, Brett Jim, what is it? A bad day fishing is better than a good day at work. Right? right? Ah, the worst day that we can have, hey, at least we're going to heaven at the end of the day. We get eternity in heaven, no big deal. I mean, whatever. We have a God that gives us peace that passes understanding. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. I mean, no big deal. It's wonderful. And with revival, with revival you have rejoicing. Look at Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Last scripture of the morning. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. He says, this is continued. Uh, this, is, this is Isaiah speaking. He says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Man, with joy, I want to draw waters out of the well of salvation that God gave me. Amen. I want to enjoy the, being partakers of the benefits of being a Christian because there's many. The happiest Christian is the one who is actively serving the Lord in one capacity or another. And what can happen is maybe a young Christian will get bogged down and say, well, what's the point? I, I, I'm not serving like they are. I could never do what they're doing. You know, anyone that's learning guitar can easily get bogged down because they can't play how some great guitar player can play, Right? But that's why God told us not to compare ourselves among ourselves because it's not wise. All our job is to do is grow, is grow, draw nigh to him more nigh than we were before. Is that right, English? All our job is is to be closer than we were before. Jessica, you don't have to be at the top of the pyramid. I don't have to be at the top of the pyramid. All I got to do is be closer than I was before. That's it. That's it. And then before you know it, you're going to look back and be like, wow, God, God's moved in my life and I never, wow, God, we serve a good God. Amen. There's joy in service. There's joy in obedience. There's joy in revival. Amen. It's good to be a Christian. And if we fall in hard times in our country, if there's, if there's a persecution that might come, if we might see any kind of tribulation and it might come, It's still good to be partakers of the benefits. We'll still have something to rejoice over. You, you ever want to find encouragement? Just go to the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Martyrs that are being burned at the stake, proclaiming scripture, singing hymns while they're being burned alive. I know what that's called? Peace that passes all understanding because it makes no sense according to our flesh. Amen. We serve a good God. Amen. Let's close. In a word of prayer, or let's, let's, let's pray, we'll have an invitation time, amen. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for...